Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. Maybe this plays in with it here, because again, I'm, I was thinking about going and staying at a hotel. And it could be that the first time you stay at a hotel, I don't know, whatever chain, you think, oh, this is pretty good. You know, I like it here. But then second, third, fourth time, by the time you've stayed there 10 times, you're just going, well, actually, and maybe this is the key, it's met my expectation now. The, the thing to emphasize is that diminishing sensitivity describes a person's subjective reaction to an experience. There is still something that you can gain, even though you're doing well, because well, a score of four and a half out of five is pretty good. But actually there was still a lot of mileage that they could gain by investing further. Good morning, one and all. Good afternoon, one and all. Good evening, one and all. Depending upon where in the hell you're calling us in from or whether where you're listening to us, should I say. A couple of quick announcements before we get uh, into this uh, podcast. First of all, we're on YouTube. Just go in to YouTube and search for The Intuitive Customer and you will get the honor of seeing Ryan and I live. Well, not live, but recorded. You know what I mean. What do you think about all this uh, YouTube thing, Ryan? Is it is it working well? Well, I mean, I can't imagine anybody actually ever wanted to watch us, Colin. But in the interest of just trying things and seeing what works. Yes. No, I, it's, I know that there are some people who prefer to consume their podcast content via YouTube. That's great. So we're happy to to provide those as well. Yes, yes, that's the reason that we've decided to do it is because we I've been reading up on a load of things and apparently YouTube is is a big channel for podcasts. I have to say I tend to listen to podcasts audio only, don't actually sit down and watch them. We always talk about segmentation. There must be a segment of the market that likes looking at old guys with boring faces, maybe, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and that's where we shine. And we do. We're going to corner that market, mate. No problem whatsoever. And the second thing I would just ask you to do is um, perhaps we could ask you just to go and do a review of the show. When you review the show, it really helps us, A, get feedback, but B, just spread the word because we then go up on the, the rankings and everything else. So just take a moment and wherever platform you're on, just do a review. That would really be uh, useful for us. What are we talking about today, mate? You tell today us. we're talking about diminishing sensitivity. Right. Okay. So, as usual, do you want to start and I'll just interrupt you after 30 seconds and we'll just do the usual? That sounds like a great plan. Let's do that. So, diminishing sensitivity is a part of Daniel Kahneman's findings. So, one, one of the things that won him the Nobel Prize. And it was he noted that, that people tend to be less sensitive to improvements, the more things improve, which is kind of a, not an intuitive way for me to express that. If, if we were to imagine a wealthy person and we give that wealthy person $100, that'll feel good. That person will enjoy that. That'll be good. 
But if we were to take that same $100 and give it to a poor person, then that would really make their day. They would appreciate that a lot more. That, that's the basic wisdom around diminishing sensitivity. The more of something that you have, the less the marginal improvement, the, the less you feel strongly about getting even more of it. It's a bit like if you've got loads of stuff, when you just get more stuff, then it's just more stuff rather than it's a good present or something like that. It's, yeah, I don't know if I'm explaining myself very well. Yeah, no, that's the same basic idea, right? So the more of something that you have, then the, the less you appreciate even more of it. It's an old idea. It goes back at least as far as like the, the 1600s. There's this Swiss mathematician named Bernoulli who wrote a, a famous paper about it way back in that, the day. But uh, Kahneman like, kind of brought it back into modern psychology, Kahneman and Tversky, and, and said that this is not something that's really important and explains a lot of the way that people evaluate things brought it into to his prospect theory. And so we're going to talk just about diminishing sensitivity today, what it means, what we can do about it, what are the implications. So let, can I jump in with a question? Please, please do. Because I'm immediately thinking, does this therefore have anything to do with customer surveys in the sense of there's 50 million customer surveys that go out now, and we know that getting the response rate from those customer surveys is a challenge but i guess if you if you didn't have any of those surveys come to you and you only had one a month i'm now exaggerating to make a point then you're probably more likely to fill that out if it was one a month rather than getting 500 a month from all those different companies does that make sense so i wouldn't call that diminishing sensitivity precisely but i do think it's kind of in the same general direction right. where we can get kind of like satiated or or tired of something um, the more we get of it and i think that that is in the same general direction as a diminishing sensitivity it's a bit so it's a bit like commoditization isn't it yeah that would be another right so in commoditization the argument is that we become less sensitive to differences across offerings and a lot of times in markets that happens because the offerings have all improved to the point where they're difficult to distinguish between and that must be diminishing sensitivity yes yeah so if if they've improved to the point where we're less sensitive to further differences in them then yes that would be a function of diminishing sensitivity. yeah yeah okay so there there are two ways we can think about this one you can think about diminishing sensitivity on a single attribute and so the the example i use in class when i'm explaining this is a video game resolution so I show, I show my students pictures of football on the Atari 2600. This is an old 8-bit video game system. And it usually takes my students a minute or two to even figure out what the game is. Like you can't tell that it's football. It has these like little blocky characters and the football appears to be embedded in somebody's head. Like it's just, it's very unclear. And then we move up from 8-bit to 16-bit and I show them some pictures of like ColecoVision. And now it's, it's a lot better. And we talk about how subjectively the experience of playing those two games would be very different. And then we go from 8-bit to 32-bit. We get to like Super Nintendo. Now we're starting to add a third dimension. The, the teams all have like uniforms. It's very clear what the game is. And then, and then we like, we fast forward and we get to the, the realm of Madden, which is like the, the cutting edge football games of today. And I show them the resolution from three different eras of, of Madden. Like I think I use 2010, 2012, and 2014, something like that. 
And when you see them next to each other, it is still improving. Like every year the game comes out, the resolution is crisper. Like they and have like steam coming out of the players' mouths when they're playing in winter. But the gameplay is already so good that it's just, it's not really the, improving the, the game. Yeah, that the much. levels of improvement are no yeah, longer noticeable. Yeah, we're almost at like photorealism now. And yeah. so it's just like, it's hard to get excited about yeah. further improvements. Yeah. As opposed to when it was really terrible, then yeah. small improvements were very noticeable and we really appreciated it. It's a bit like, um, as you're talking, it's making me think of my iPhone. Yes. And it's making me think of, I mean, when the iPhone was first produced, it was clearly just so different to everything that obviously the world went mad for an iPhone, basically. But now, I mean, I know this is sacrilege because... You I know, know I was I waiting to see where you were going with this. I, yeah, because I was in a store the other day, not an Apple store, and um, I was looking to get a new phone cover. And the woman said, um, what iPhone have you went? And I went, oh, can't remember the number. <laughs> I think that's exactly this phenomenon, right? Yeah. So, so there's two ways of thinking about it. One is improvements on a single attribute, like resolution. The other way of thinking about it is across a bundle of attributes, which is how I would characterize the iPhone. So the iPhone can do all kinds of things in every new iteration. It improves on some of those attributes so that, you know, the camera gets a little bit better and the screen gets a little bit better. And then it often adds new features and it's improving and improving and improving to the point where think back to when it first came out, like the first iPhone just shut down the world. People like lined up for weeks to get it. It was very exciting. And then the next iteration and the next iteration, people were still very, very excited about it. To the point where, yeah, like you, Apple super fan, you don't even know what version of the iPhone you have anymore. Yeah. And I would argue it's because the iPhone is now so good that further improvements, like do we do we need a fourth camera on this thing? Like do we do we need an even sharper resolution on the screen? It's just it's hard to get for more excited about it, not because it's bad now. In fact, the opposite, because it's so good, it can do so many things. That how are you going to get me excited about it? Yeah, I can think of a, a couple of examples in that from a sort of a customer experience or product perspective. One is just the number of, of megapixels the camera's got. So I remember when it first, you know, when they, when I, I've got an SLR and I never use the bloody thing now because obviously the megapixels on the camera again i haven't got a clue what they are all i know is they take really good photos on i'm now talking about the apple phone they could probably say and this is to your point double the amount of megapixels and you go yeah i can't see that personally i can't see a difference i'm sure that someone may be able to the other one that that i was thinking about i actually cut myself shaving this morning yeah mm -hmm. And now, you see, that is such an advantage of YouTube. People can see where I've cut myself shaving. <laughs> and they can't on podcasts, can they? I, I mean, well, it's just... they can see it, but they don't believe it. They <laughs> think this is just special effects. This is just, we fix this in post. Like, yeah. yeah. But it's a bit like a wet shave. Yeah. Okay? Gillette or whoever it is goes, we've gone from two blades yeah. to three blades. That's right. Oh, now we've gone to four blades. Oh, now we've gone to, I don't know how many bloody blades there are on things now. And you just go, yeah, it's an irrelevance, really. I mean, have you not got a better, have you not got a better innovation that you can come up? 
But the, sorry, I'm on a roll now. No, no, these are great examples. This is exactly it. But I guess the problem is this, isn't it? Is because after the iPhone was launched, that was such a change. And then after every single one was launched, I started to get disappointed that there wasn't these step changes between the product sets. And I was thinking, well, yeah, you know, there was not much difference between this one and that one. So actually, I don't know if I'm going to buy it. And I think, thinking about it, that's obviously played out in the sales of iPhones, which they weren't on such a steep trajectory as they were before, basically, were they? Yeah, no, this is exactly it. It's just, it's hard to get people excited about it, get them motivated to turn in what they have for the next thing, because the thing they have now is already so good. So good. So the, the way that I teach this is as a, a curse of improvement. So as you improve your offering, whether it's a physical good like an iPhone or whether it's your customer experience, like as the experience gets better and better and better, that's good and people will be happy with that, but it's going to be hard to get them to notice or care about further improvements. Like it's already so good that, you know, like, yeah, okay, this is now what I expect. So let's try and relate that into the customer experience space then. Right. Which I guess would be, and maybe this is, maybe this plays in with it here, because again, I was thinking about going and staying at a hotel. And it could be that the first time you stay at a hotel, I don't know, whatever chain you think, oh, this is pretty good. You know, I like it here. But then second, third, fourth time, by the time you've stayed there 10 times, you're just going, well, actually, and maybe this is the key. It's met my expectation now. Yeah, so there's there's two related things that are, are happening there. One is that you might be changing your your reference point, your, your expectation. And so that can happen even if they're not improving. So look at this from the management's perspective, though. So say that you're a management uh, of a, a hotel chain and you want to improve your customer experience scores. So they're, they're pretty high. People are, are generally pretty happy, but you're in a very competitive space. And so the experience scores are high with your competitors as well. And you want to improve them. You want to be the best experience. If you already have a very, very good experience that you're providing to your customers, moving that needle up a little bit even further is just going to be really difficult. This is just a function of psychology. If you were to take over a struggling chain, there's probably things you could do to dramatically increase the customer experience scores right away and easy fixes, the low-hanging fruit. When you're up at the top of that curve, when things are going very well, there's no more low-hanging fruit. It's really hard to, to nudge it up even further because people are no longer sensitive to those changes. Yeah, and I, and I think that, I mean, that's definitely true. I, I, I remember in my career when I was in corporate life, I always much preferred to take over an underperforming team than a team that was a high-performing team. Yeah. Because clearly you could become a hero, basically, in, in converting an underperforming team into a, a, a high-performing team. And the growth that you could get from a high-performing team is is not very not very good. Yeah. And as you're saying, I guess that that becomes the same within customer experience. In fact, we've just been having one of these. So we got a call from a new potential client a few weeks ago and I was chatting to them and they're really what I would call very transactional and very 
for us, you've got naive, transactional, enlightened, and natural on this sort of maturity curve. We've we've done podcasts on this before about how how customer centric the organisation is. Why not let Colin and Ryan speak at your next conference? As you can hear, they're great communicators and can get over a message in a simple, inspiring, and humorous way. Contact Beyond Philosophy by going to beyondphilosophy.com slash contact. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash contact. I get really excited when, I, when I'm talking to organizations like that because I know they don't know very much about yeah. customer experience. Lots of room for improvement. Totally. Yeah. And I know that we can go in there and make a bloody big effect and get lots of revenue and everything else and improve the experience because they just don't know what they don't know, basically. And as long as you can turn the lights on in the right way and get them to realize why they need to make the changes, et cetera, et cetera, which is a challenge in itself, then you can make really big, you can have a really big effect upon those organizations. I use an example in my teaching, which I love, which is, I don't think I've, I've used this example in the podcast before, but it's a, a picture that somebody posted on the internet of a box of frozen pizza. Have I used this example before? Uh, I think you have. I can't oh, remember okay. it though. I may have talked about it when we talked about expectations. He took a picture of the pizza after he'd taken it out of the box and it was just, he was so excited that the pizza actually looked like it did on the box. Like it, the box had a pizza with a lot of pepperoni. The pizza actually had a lot of pepperoni. That is an area in frozen foods where performance is so bad that just giving people even something even close to what they might expect is is a delight. It's seen as such an improvement. If you're to like contrast that with like eating at a four star restaurant, it's already so good that people aren't going to notice further smaller improvements very much. It's just it's such a great experience that further improvements are really hard. They're very difficult. Yeah. And I guess the other challenge then is the investment needed. Yeah. So I was thinking as you were speaking about Disney. So Disney has obviously over the years provided a good experience. Haven't been to them recently, I have to say. But the big change that they made, I think, is in the technology. And again, I haven't been there, but uh, they have this technology now where you can go up to rides and it tells you on an app and uh, magic wand or something, I think they call it. In fact, I tell you what, we can do this now. If you know what it is and you're on YouTube, stick it in the comments. How go. about that? I'm not sure I'm comfortable with people correcting us in real time as they're watching. It's going to change the entire nature of this. There's an interesting question there, mate, which is how is diminishing sensitivity going to affect us with all of this? <laughs> this transitions nicely into the question of what, what can be done about this. So... This is just hardwired psychology. This is just the way people evaluate things. We're less sensitive, the better off things get, which is why there's this curse of improvement. The more you improve your customer experience, the harder it's going to be to further improve the customer experience. The more you improve your products, the harder it's going to be to further improve your products. One of the few ways around this is massive disruption. So the iPod gets better and better and better. And it's, it's hard for Apple to further improve that experience. So let's disrupt it and put it into a phone. And now it's the iPhone. And that, to a certain extent, 
reset some of these expectations. And so now we can be on that curve again. And then we're going to introduce an iPad, which again, will kind of disrupt things a little bit and, and set us on a new curve that we can climb. Where Disney can introduce new parks or new technology, as you're saying, that fundamentally changes or disrupts the way that we interact with that experience, I think there's a chance for them to reset that curve so that now we have a new set of expectations that we can climb. Keeping things static and further improving the way things are, that we're going to be running up against those limits of psychology. Yeah. I'll be interested in your thoughts on this then, because this potentially talks against diminishing sensitivity. Yeah. There was a case study of, I think it was rank Xerox from a number of years ago, where they were improving their customer experience, okay? And on a scale of zero to five, they found that the majority of the change that they got was from the grade of, or the mark of 4.5 to five. So what do you mean the majority of the change that they got? Well, sorry, the increase in customer satisfaction went up dramatically from when it was four and a half to five. So yeah. this like predicted return purchase and that kind of thing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So it's interesting, isn't it? And again, it maybe talks to that sensitivity piece, which is there is still something that you can gain, even though you're doing well, because four and a half was actually well, a score of four and a half out of five is pretty good. But actually there was still a lot of mileage that they could gain by investing further. Yeah, um, it's a great example. I'm glad you raised it. So I don't think it's inconsistent with diminishing sensitivity. So diminishing sensitivity describes an individual's reaction. So in this case, the customer's reaction to an experience. I also, and I'm, I'm familiar with other research that's consistent with what you're suggesting here or what, what you're raising. One way of looking at it is we get the most response when we delight customers. Right. So when people have kind of a neutral experience, that doesn't really drive them to do anything. Right. And so the way people use these scales is sometimes tricky. Like there's a huge positivity bias, something like 80 or 90 percent of all the ratings on Amazon are four stars and above. So it could be that four and a half, despite the fact that it's near the top of the range, it could be that that's kind of viewed as an, a neutral or an average experience for people. No, that's a good point, actually. And so to move them up to where they're actually delighted and want to return to us, that might require moving them all the way up to five. Where I don't think it's inconsistent is if the experience is positive, so say that four and a half is, in fact, on the positive side, it might be very difficult and require extreme amounts of effort to push them up to five even though that is where the payoff is. So I, that, that's how I would kind of integrate these things. And I guess it also depends upon that you, you go back to what you said earlier about reference points. Because if the whole of the industry is on 4.5, right? then how do you improve? It's a bit like, I don't know, Ritz-Carlton or somebody like that. Well, what is it that they do if they're providing a good experience anyway that's you know, better than most? then what is it they do that is very different to make them change? And again, I'm sitting here struggling to go, actually, they could do this because most of the stuff they do is 
pretty good. Already so good. And I guess the danger with that is that when we have worked with clients who are doing very well, the bit they're coming from and the bit I've emphasized with them is it's sort of how the mighty fall. Yeah. Which I guess is the opposite of what we're talking about, which is if you're up there and you're 4.5, actually it doesn't take much to go down. That's right. Yeah. And if you're there and you're complacent and all the rest of it, then actually the danger is is that you haven't got anywhere to go other than down, basically. The, the thing to emphasize is that diminishing sensitivity describes a person's subjective reaction to an experience. So if you as an organization have a very good customer experience, um, like all of your metrics are very high and you know that you're doing very well, you can still improve, right? You can still push those metrics up. Diminishing sensitivity, though, says that it's going to be hard to get a dramatic reaction out of your customers by doing that. But for defensive reasons, as you're saying, it may still be a very good idea to continue to improve, even knowing that we're not going to get a dramatic reaction out of our customers. I wouldn't recommend that Apple stop improving the iPhone, for example. No. No, each new edition should be better than the last, but you're not going to shut down the news cycle anymore with each new edition. As soon as you do that, by definition, you start going backwards because your expectations rise and blah, 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 blah. Yep. So let's do our usual bit, mate. So what's the practical advice? The practical advice is to remember the curse of improvement. So we always want to improve uh, the things that we're doing, want to improve our customer experience, um, improve the, the things that our offerings are, are providing to customers. But we have to remember psychologically the way that people will respond to that, which is they'll, it'll still be positive. You know, they'll, they'll still react positively to positive changes, but the magnitude of the response will diminish over time. And that may mean that you need to build into your long-term planning large disruptions periodically, um, where you're just going to need to really shake things up so that you can get people to notice improvements again. Because otherwise, it'll just be harder and harder and harder to move the needle as things keep getting better and better. Yeah. And in my experience, the practical advice I would give you is, one is you've got to set people's expectations internally that this will happen okay because if everybody thinks that you're going to get a 10 percent improvement every month on this then by definition you're going to end up disappointing people having said that in my experience it never happens every month and getting a 10 percent improvement is would never happen anyway to be honest with you because improving the customer experience takes a lot longer to actually implement and to roll out and for customers then to realize that the change is there. So in other words, you have an experience, it's normally been okay, and now it's good. You go, oh, that was good. But you actually haven't changed your term of reference, really, because you've just gone, well, that was just one out of the last hundred that I've had that was good, and the rest were average. So you've got to have a, a few of those to even start making the customer go, actually, that has changed. I now have recognized that that's changed, and that takes that takes a period of time. I would look into that. If you're looking at it from a career perspective, then I would definitely look at, is it an underperforming team? 
Yeah. Even if you're thinking about it, and if it is, then, and you can go in there and be a hero, then that's great from a career perspective. And if it's from a customer experience perspective, then again, you know, just consider what the rest of the organizations are, are doing. Is this a chance to gain to, for you to turn around and go, wow, there's a really big opportunity here if we get customers thinking, if we get the organization improving their experience and moreover this whole area of customer emotions etc we've talked a, a lot about products and stuff like that but you can flip in that disruption if you like that ryan was talking about from being product focused to be being more customer and emotional focused so yes you keeping the improvements in your product set but actually the experience is the bit that you're now changing and that's the bit that customers uh, start to see and start to value love it we hope that's been of use please as i said check us out on the youtube channel the intuitive customer and also if you get a chance please leave us a review we would really very much appreciate that thanks very much and talk to you next week cheers this has been the intuitive customer with colin shaw and professor ryan hamilton but it doesn't end here just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcasts. We look forward to talking with you next time on The Intuitive Customer. <laughs>